0: Hi all, Um, hope you're well on this Sunday. Um, I've been reflecting, I'm going back to school very soon and I've just been reflecting on what lockdown has taught us. And for me, as for many of you, I imagine it's it's taught us that connection is more important than content. When we first had to stop meeting physically as a church, I'm sure that many of us found that actually there's a lot of content online. There's more preachings than you could ever listen to, uh, more worship sessions that you could ever participate in but what we craved at least what I craved and what Natalie craved more than anything was connection with people rather than content and we've not been devoid of great sermons these are all readily available and when we look at what we've missed in church I don't believe that we've particularly missed Simon's great oration or Natalie's wonderful singing voice but we've we've missed a sense of being connected together and connected with God lockdown in general has taught us that humans do crave connection Uh, as a teacher i supplied many many hours of content to my kids of which not many really completed the work many students when i spoke to their parents they found it impossible to complete the work because there was no human connection there with it there was no physical teaching and although we've been medically ready for this pandemic, so though we haven't been medically ready for this pandemic in many ways, we have been technologically ready. We are more technologically connected than ever. You think about contactless payments and food deliveries, keep fit challenges on YouTube, meetings where I can just wear a nice jumper like this and not have to wear smart trousers, I've got shorts on. Technology allows us to keep connected in all these kind of new and wonderful ways. And, And for that, I praise God for technology. But as I look to our our social media connected world, I often find that it can in fact actually divide us as much as it can connect us. It can disconnect us actually more than it can connect us with one another. And I I find myself and others living in in an odd state of connection and disconnection at the same time during lockdown, you know, connection through FaceTime, phone calls and WhatsApp groups, yet, Disconnected through social distancing measures, travel restrictions and increasingly polarised social media. But the the good news is that God's plan for the church is a church that is diverse yet unified and connected in Christ. Not divided but diverse. A connected church. And Jesus planned for us to be connected together as a body despite all of our differences. All people, all sorts of people connected in one body. And when you think about God's plan for the church, you know, has ever such a scheme been devised and worked as it does? You know, every tribe, tongue, ethnicity, age, gender, political view, all all difference brought together under one man, Jesus Christ. And, you know, I was reading through the scriptures because I want to speak about unity or oneness in the church. And there are hundreds of scriptures that that speak about this. However, I think I just want to turn to one. I think sometimes it's more powerful to look at a solid passage in the Bible rather than cherry picking verses. So if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. And then in the NIV Bible, it actually subtitles this unity and diversity in the body. So chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, this is almost the pivot of this passage, so that's oneness. Even so, the body is not made up of one part. But of many. Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If a whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If a whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? <clears throat> but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lactic, lactic, so there may be, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed the church. Placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? What's implied there is no. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Note in this passage, Paul is talking to The church. He's not talking to a church. He's not talking to Hope Church. He's not talking to Smeric Old Church. He's not talking to AOG. He's not talking to the Catholic Church. He's talking to the church. This is true of all of us. And though that, though the the whole passage may be true of an individual body of church, you know, you might have a big church where people are well-rounded and there's different gifts within the church. This is not a message to the individual body, but it's a message to the whole universal body of Christ that you know is through time and crosses every language and nationality barrier the words one and many are often repeated in this you know one church many parts one body many parts and that is held in perfect balance in the church our oneness and our manyness and I think often in the world we can we can struggle with how to I mean if you look at political parties and so on there's almost a tendency within the world to just kind of want to create exact replicas within a unit. And the church is not that. We are all becoming like Christ, but we are diverse in our experiences, in our abilities and also in our positions. And this is Jesus' plan for the church. This is what he's created us to be as a whole church. And the question comes is, do you think this is what, where we are? Do you think this is what people see of us? It's not just a hypothetical question but it's a question with real consequences because in John 17 Jesus is you know he is looking towards his death he's telling his disciples kind of a, his final instructions and he, he prays in John 17 verse 20 he says my prayer is not for them being the disciples alone I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them This is the church, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying that our our oneness directly reflects the relationship between the Father and the Son. And he says, so that the world may believe. This is not just a kind of, oh, it would be good to be one. Jesus is telling us that the world knowing the Father and the Son and their oneness and him in us and us in him, that is dependent on the church being one together. Oneness in, in our diversity is not is not an option for the church, but it is an essential ingredient. It's like trying to make a cake without flour or having a functioning body without blood. It just doesn't work without it. And so for the church to really fulfill its function, we must be unified in Christ. And university and diversity, as I said, it's hard. You know, people, and I see this as a school teacher, people most naturally congregate with those who are most similar to them. I do not think it's something that we can achieve in our human strength. We can't just be like, okay, let's get over our differences. Let's just be one. Because that won't do it. But it needs the Holy Spirit. And actually, something that's important to, to recognise is that even the early church, with all its miracles, with the day of Pentecost just behind it, with all the imprisonments and beatings and almost the encouragements in that, they even had issues with oneness. If you want to turn with me to Act 6... Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7. This is a story in the early church. Just to illustrate that, you know, oneness and diversity in the body can be a problem. But also the church can step up to this in the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 1. It says, In those days where the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, so those were Jewish people who couldn't speak um, Hebrew or Aramaic, but they could only speak Greek. So they were kind of seen as, second-class they weren't proper Jews so the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews so those those were like they could consider themselves the proper Jews because their widows had been overlooked or passed by in the daily distribution of food so I'll stop the second we know that the two things here the early church had a food program which is great that you know all the widows should be fed um, well, also we can see that the church had an issue with ethnic divisions. Chapter um, verse two. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, "It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on the tables." So the disciples say, "We can't like we we're, we're preaching. It's not right for us to stop what we're doing so that we can watch to make sure that you're doing what's right." Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Uh, This was a job of, you know, serving food. Yet the church wanted someone or people who are full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Incredible. The early church, seeing its ethnic divisions within it, said actually we want to correct this and they chose people who are known by Hellenic names, by Greek names. So the people that they chose, um, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, Nicholas, it even says a convert to Judaism. These people were part of that lesser considered social group. And they were given responsibility. And again, this wasn't just because, oh, because they're that person, they can have it. They were known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. And they were appropriately positioned in their diversity to meet the need for unity within the church. And I love verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Why? Why priests? The priests would not have been the Hellenic Jews. They would have been the Hebraic Jews, the Jews who spoke, you know, Hebrew, who were able to speak in Hebrew, understood the scriptures. What's interesting is that the priests, seeing this ethnic unity of the church, seeing that they were able to overcome the the barriers of division, said, wow, I, I want something of that. Or at least they saw something of Jesus' oneness with the Father. And so they became obedient to the faith. Ethnic divisions, language divisions, it's it's easy for us to think as a church that we're beyond that, you know. However, this teaches us that it is not beyond us. It is not beyond us to be divided. And I'm not just speaking about ethnic divisions, but divisions of class, divisions of, of culture. The church can be divided. However, we believe also that the Holy Spirit can give us the tools, the wisdom and the proposed plan to overcome those barriers. The church is a place of difference and it has to be. We're not all going to vote for the same political party and we're not going to have all the same allegiances. Yet we are called to be one in Christ and unified in love. And this perfect unity is not just born in us the second that we're saved. Just the same as, you know, loads of patience or resilience or the fruit of the spirit. It's not just born instantly the moment we're saved, but it's something that's that's gifted to us and we work with the Holy Spirit to increase. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another with what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so that's, that's my sermon. That's my prayer for us. How can we as a church be perfectly united in mind and thought? How can we ensure that there are no divisions among us? he also says in you know so the second letter to this church well it's believed to be the third letter but he writes later to the same church in closing 2 corinthians 15 verse 11 he says finally brothers and sisters rejoice strive for full restoration encourage one another be of one mind live in peace and the god of love and peace will be with you i mentioned social media earlier because i think at least in my experience, it can help create divisions within the church. And social media, essentially, it's like an echo chamber. If you were to, to stand maybe under a canal bridge and you shout hello, you just hear the same thing coming back, hello, hello, hello. And social media, and often even the newspapers that we read, can act as echo chambers that just speak back to us exactly the things that we're already saying. And they can make us think that we're, we're true. Let's say I'm a refugee crisis. If you want to call it a crisis, or um, perhaps on a political party, or on Boris Johnson campaign, whatever it is, our social media. Like, they're, they're, I don't want to, it's not a conspiracy, but the people who create it are, are clever and they, they want you to stay there as long as possible to see the adverts so they create revenue. And what happens is it creates an echo chamber whereby we're always hearing the same thing, the same thing as our opinion, whether it's true or false. It's kind of solidified and concreted in those spaces. And, you know, when I look at my social media, and I look at Natalie's, the content there is is curated to to keep us there as long as possible. And I, I said earlier, this is about connection over content when i look at my social media pages it tells me about all the new sneaker or trainer releases when i look at natalie's it tells me about how to you know create a nicer home or how to arrange flowers and stuff like that and i think that facebook at least has become a place no longer where we kind of update people on what we're up to but it's a place where people can have their prejudices and their their divisions almost refined and sharpened and you know it's gone from a place Where people just connect with old friends to a place where individuals are actually being paid by foreign agencies to create divisive and deliberately misinformative content so that people can live in disagreement. And my prayer for us is that in this kind of new age of lockdown and of a lot of us spending more time on our phones, that we'd be able to see beyond those things and pray and work together for unity in the church. And so my my simple advice and what I feel on my heart right now is to be able to see beyond the profile of a person that we disagree with. They may even be a Christian and they might be posting something that we think is wrong or divisive or incorrect. And actually, we need to to pray to see beyond that and see a person and and see someone who actually Jesus says that if they're in the faith of God, that we need to be unifying them with them in order for the church to fulfill its mission it's not just a it's not a nice sentiment but it's imperative that we look beyond those initial divisions and barriers in order to be one in christ so that the world may know that the father has sent jesus I'm not saying I'll love the person despite their views or just try and see past them, live with it. But I'm saying that the New Testament love demands that we see them first and foremost as someone who is adored and cherished by Christ. And who is instrumental in our walk and an essential part of a church's mission. And don't think that this is a sermon just berating social media. Like I've grown up with it. I use it. But I just I'm prayer, my pleas, that we let nothing prevent the church from living in Christ's prayer of unity. I'll read it again, my prayer. So this is John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have gave me that they may be one as we are one i in them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity all the translations say perfect unity That the world will know, know that you have sent me and i love them even as you have loved me i love that phrase so that the world may know i'm on quite a few um like sneaker forums or trainer forums and i see often how people comment and talk to one another and it can be so rude. And I, actually, I'm like, I don't want part of this. If this is a culture of something that I'm invested in, I don't want part of it. And actually, when we are divided, when we are arguing, we, when we are broken as a church, when we're not in complete unity, the world sees it. it, it it's there and it's recorded. And what encourages me in, in, in these times is Jesus' plan. <clears throat> when you think of Jesus' discipleship group, you know, he chose twelve people who were radically different and made them or brought them to oneness. I'll just go through. So Simon Peter and Andrew were both fishermen. They were both, um, I guess, probably poorer um, people who lived in the north of Galilee or the north of kind of Israel in Galilee. And um, Bartholomew, who um, is believed to be part of a royal family, you know, his father was supposed to be a king in Geshur you got John and and James, who, again, were, were brothers. John's, go- or John's gospel and his letters are, are believed to have been written in kind of a simpler Greek. So you've got people who then are, are poorer, who um, aren't so well-educated, contrasted with Bartholomew, the son of a king, apparently. Um, you've got James, another James, son of Alphaeus. Um, he lived in Galilee. Not much is known about him. You've got Jude, who, again, not much is known about him. You've got Judas Iscariot. Now, that's that's a mind-boggler, how Jesus included him in his disciples, knowing that he would betray him. Matthew, who was a tax collector, essentially working for the the oppressors. Philip, again, who um, not too much is known about him. You've got Simon the Zealot who, again, in direct contrast with Matthew, he was actually a, like a freedom fighter for the Jewish people against the, the uh, Romans. And then you've got Thomas, who was known to be a, a, a doubter. You've got these 12 people with radically different lives. And they wouldn't be the 12 people you'd first try to form a group with. They're radically different. And they've got wildly different ideas about them. Yet the Holy Spirit binding them together in one made it possible and they were they are the first church you know people are are watching and, and my prayer is that we might be unified in christ despite our difference i'm i'm not trying to say that we should all think therefore the same things we need to look beyond those differences and see our oneness as christ is imperative the more i see salty and argument people in in different spheres of the world, the less I want to be part of of that system, the less I want to be part of that culture. And the more I see, and I guess this is what drew me to church, the more I see of, of Christ's kingdom, the more I want to be a part. It can cost us our patience, our beliefs, it can cost us financially, but being united in our diversity is Jesus' prayer for us and it's also his command. And I believe, church, that we are richer, for engaging as a family with those who are different to us. If your concept of, of church is simply a bunch of like-minded people, then that's a social club and it's not the church of Christ. The church is the, is the power of God binding together a new people, a new nationhood, a new priesthood, going forth into the furthest reaches of the world, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so my my encouragement is to... Is to, to pray and seek practical things to bring universe, unity in a diverse and beautiful church. And I've added a, a recharge message on this recently. But a few more things that we can do to, to seek unity in the church. Number one, we can pray. Um, weekly set a time to pray for the global church. That barriers may be overcome. And that people may be in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, you can give. Um, you can give to interdenominational work, give to to church projects that are binding together different parts of a church in the oneness of God. Three, um, we can log off <laughs> and, and knock on the door of that person who maybe is posting stuff that you disagree with, you don't think it's loving Christ and so on. Just talk to them, have a conversation, not so that you can prove them wrong, but if they're a believer, if they've got the Holy Spirit in them, talk with them rather than posting comments and and we can come to a unity i really believe four befriend befriend people in the church who are of a different age or social bracket to you often political views can come with a a social bracket or an age group and i think it's so important as a church we don't just settle with the people who are similar to us but we get to know those who are actually radically different to us within the church five host have people around who are different to you Again, this is similar to the last one, but have them around and listen to them. Learn from them and perhaps get to know where where they're coming from in their views. Maybe your views will be changed. We can also volunteer. Volunteer in a part of a church that we're not overly familiar with, that we don't know. You know, you might even want to volunteer at a different church. I'm not trying to get people away. So if Simon's hearing this. But maybe on a... like with a time before when it was um, like a Chris uh, New Year um soup kitchen at a church. Why not, you know, do one off or on a little project, volunteer at another church and, and get to know people who are who are doing faith differently from us. I think it will enrich us. It might establish your views more, um, but hopefully it will promote unity within the church. And finally, engage engage with those who are different to you i think we need to come to people not with a corrective spirit but a listening spirit and i think if the holy spirit leads us maybe we'll change maybe they'll change but what does need to be achieved i believe more than agreements or disagreements and, and little details that are not too important is that we would be one and unified in christ that we might be together wholly diverse in our different ways but unified and and The purpose is so that the world may know, the world may know that you have sent me. Amen.